Welcome, everybody, to episode six of Winging It, brought to you by the Community Cloudcast. I'm Eric Shups, joined by my fellow co-host, Robert Bogue. Hola. Rob, how are you this month? I, I'm good. I'm good. It's been a whirlwind with trips and things, but uh, but it's it's good to be it's good to be home. I am, in fact, in Indiana, where at this precise moment, I'm still dealing with Canadian wildfires. And I, I don't like I'm not that close, really. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of the pictures that the hazy, smoggy, it's a mess. It is an absolute mess. And I don't like I don't get it. Like how first of all, you have to know that my and you know this, but my youngest son didn't believe that Canada had trees. <laughs> it didn't make the maple leaves make any sense. But now I'm thinking, you know. They're not going to have trees. <laughs> yeah, they might they're not. all burning. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> yeah, it is a bit of a mess. Yeah. Up there for our Canadian friends. And it has been a whirlwind, as you said. I've made two European trips in the last month, uh, interspersed by lots of other things. So it has been crazy, but had done three events in that time. Yeah, so, I think I did two. Yeah, crazy times. Uh, in fact, that's why our schedule's been a little bit messed up. Apologize to everyone for getting a little off our cadence, uh, our monthly cadence here. But travel has been insane. But we're back in the saddle, and we're ready to go again. Yep. We're ready to go. But where are we going? Well, where are we going? Uh, crazy, I believe. I, uh, I we're not already we're there. Already so there. typically, <laughs> typically... <laughs> These episodes would air every second Thursday on our YouTube and Facebook uh, channels. Uh, we'll try and get back into that cadence and do a little better job of that as the summer progresses. Um, we'll get this one out as quickly as possible. Of course, we want to thank our sponsors, uh, Aptigent uh, and Power Tools. You can go check that out. Their new release coming uh, should be by the time this video airs, should have a new update available for... Uh, Power Platform, Developer, Nintex. I think there's some updates coming uh, in all of those. When is the Ouija board coming? Yeah, well, working on that particular. Okay, okay Ouija board is coming. Okay. <laughs> when we get those AI bots included, we'll get the Ouija board going. Nice. Well, we'll release chat Ouija. <laughs> <laughs> Ouija GPT. And, of course, Confident Change Management. You can learn more about it, confidentchangemanagement.com. Uh, anything you want to mention on that, Rob? Um, we have a couple of really new cool resources. We're talking about logical fallacies. Uh, that'll be up by the time this airs. And we also have an atlas of emotion, um, which sounds a little weird, but it's, it's cool to be able to see kind of this ra range of emotions. So those two things are coming up. Right. Interesting. Okay. Well, uh, our topic this month is full of logical fallacies. Uh, yes. Happens. <laughs> uh, so in, in chatting back and forth, uh, Rob and I discussed some of the various issues that folks encounter. And, and we realized this was kind of a broader topic here and that things have definitely changed from the on-prem days in terms of support as to what you could do and who you would call when there was an issue and those, those fairly rigid, well-defined call the help desk and help desk routes it to the right department and, and they respond. Uh, it, it's not quite so clear in the cloud how no. those things happen and whose responsibility is it when something goes wrong. 
Uh, and more importantly, who is the quarterback, if you will, that's watching over all these cloud services and interfacing with the various vendors and marshalling all that. So there's a lot of uh, meat on the bone, as it were, for this particular uh, topic. So we're going to jump right into it uh, this month. And so, Rob, why don't we start with that traditional IT model, support model, and how it's it shifted and really broken down since we moved to the cloud? Yeah, I mean, I think, so first of all, like, there used to be that one person that there's there's something going wrong, whether it's a sales VP or it's the CEO or somebody, there there used to be this one person, they go marching down and they, they go to the CIO and they go, make this happen, right? Like, fix it, right? And whether it was a server down or a network or whatever it was, uh, and the CIO would then, you know, go march down a couple of offices and they, and they would go get people on it. And there was this visual, tangible feel like my IT team is on it. Now what happens is they call the CIO in a Teams meeting, if it's working, a Zoom's me Zoom meeting or on their cell phone. And it goes, okay, yep, you're right. It's broken. And they, and they put in a ticket and that's the end, right? Like the sales guy or the CEO or whoever it is, is like, okay, so when's it going to be back? And you're like, I Thursday of what month, right? <laughs> like you just don't know when, when it's going to be back. And I think part of it, the biggest part of it is just the psychology of you can't see Bob's working on it or Jim is working on it or whatever. And I don't know if you've seen that. And, you know, in the old days we had that with, if, if the internet went down, right? Like it wasn't like a guy went out there stringing fiber but it's still different because you feel like it's more intimate and it's more personal and it's more your data and your things than, oh, it's the phone company and or the power company or whatever. Is that what you're seeing? It, it is. I think there's definitely some psychology at play there. And there's also the aspect of uh, having multiple services dependent on things that are completely out of your control. So yeah. the here in the Microsoft world, the common thing is as soon as something goes bad, you go to the Azure status dashboard and you see, you know, who forgot to renew the certificate this month, which it's if it's the service dashboard loads. If the service dashboard loads, yeah, the, which is completely ridiculous considering we're talking about multi billions of dollars of cloud infrastructure and at least once a year, right? It all comes down to SSL or DNS, right? Every time someone forgets to renew a certificate, how that's not automated and being handled. I just don't know how providers like Microsoft and Amazon and, and Google can keep screwing this up. Uh, but you, so you first go to the Azure dashboard and it's like this, uh, almost like sticking your head out the window to see what the weather is, right? Like, uh, okay, is it raining? right? Um, is the wind blowing too hard? Uh, what's down and where? And if the dashboard is all green, which it usually is before they figure out there's a problem, right? Then, okay, what do we do now? Is it, we need to go open a ticket. We can't get into to Teams. Right. Is it a Teams ticket? Is it an Azure ticket? Is it, right. Where do I go to solve this problem, because if you go to the wrong one, it's going to kick to the other one. It's going to flow back and forth and you, you're never going to get anywhere. So I think it's compounded by 
the not having one neck to strangle. Sure, it's in this case, it's Microsoft's neck, but there that's a hydra, right? There's lots of different heads and, and necks. Right. Whereas it used to be you went to Bob and you, you're Bob, get it working. Right. Uh, and you can't do that anymore. Right. And it, I think, you know, in your response, you, you actually highlighted the other problem, the degree of complexity that we're talking about now everything depends on everything else right it's like the meatloaf song everything louder than everything else and like well is dns working is this cdn the content uh, distribution network working is it authentication is authentication down right in each of those things what's interesting is each of those things impacts different services in different ways and so you've now become a sleuth to try and figure out which thing do I think is down? Which magical component that they've never talked to me about broke? And using that to try and get to where do I, you know, where do I open my ticket and who do I lean on and, and what's my expectation? Because the other part is different kinds of services have different kinds of SLAs and different levels of urgency inside of Microsoft. And so if they if they make a they they break something, then you don't know necessarily when it's going to come back because you have no idea what the SLAs are. And even if you have the SLAs, they don't really matter that much. It's really more of the targets. Um, and, and that part, I think, is the hard part, because instead of trying to actually solve the problem, you are just trying to figure out. Is this a piece that I'm even aware of so that I know who to talk to about potentially solving the problem? There's an aspect of in the old days, right? In the old days, back in my day, um, in the on-prem days, when you opened a ticket with Microsoft, it was typically a technical, usually a senior technical person who was opening that ticket who could describe the problem, who had done some... Uh, at least preliminary remediation, right? Yep. I know there's a lot of knee jerk, you know, just open a ticket with Microsoft, right? right. And, and not having any idea what the problem is, which causes more issues than it solves. But uh, the, usually you had some senior resource who was opening the ticket who could describe the problem and had some idea of where the technical issues lay. Like we know it's SQL or we know it's SSRS or we know it's a problem with the user profile database. Or I know I'm using SharePoint terms here, but we we had some specifics now in the cloud you don't even know in some cases where to begin uh, the, because so much of that as you say is obscured from our visibility yeah we don't know what portion of the service um, is at fault or having a problem we don't even know sometimes how much of the service is actually affected okay we can't log in well office 365 and teams are fine it's azure ad where the the issue is okay well that because everything is dependent on it that affects a lot of stuff but technically the service isn't down so to the right. sla point right the the vendor in this case microsoft for for this discussion can say no those services were running right azure ed that wasn't running so trying to enforce and monetize those slas is extremely difficult right right well and and Again, back to this, the to the to the the point about sleuthing and figuring it out. Half your users work, right? Because their authentication token hasn't expired yet, 
right? It's like in the old days. So in the old days when we had DHCP, and if your DHCP server went down, people would progressively start failing, and you'd be looking at it, and you figure it out because they don't renew their IP address at all the same times, and people would start falling off, and you would know that you, oh, go kick the server and make it work. Um, but that's but that's more difficult in the cloud, in part due to complexity, in part due to um, how opaque things are to us. Um, and I, I think that from a confidence point of view, it's really hard to feel good about even that I've opened the ticket in the right place. Like you and I have been doing this a while and I'm generally pretty good about figuring out what's broken. Um, but I've had a lot of tickets get moved because I opened it in one place and they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. no, not really. It's mm -hmm. broken someplace else. Um, but the other dimension that we've, we've sort of opened this conversation with the idea that this is a service outage, that it's an actual thing that's broken. What, what's more interesting is when you have an update that breaks something, right? And because of the way that they roll out updates and you don't get all the updates all the, at the same time, you can be experiencing something that other people aren't experiencing. And so you call into support, you open a ticket and they're like, no, 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 it's fine. Like, no, in my tenant, it's not. It doesn't work here. Well, we tried this and it worked. Okay, try it in my tenant, right? El broken, right? <laughs> like it doesn't, it doesn't, work anymore to just assume that it's even a service outage it can it can be perhaps not quite as likely but it's still likely that you've got an update that breaks something in a magical way that nobody expected mm -hmm. um you know they made a change and this is going back eh, maybe a year ago to azure active directory and the login system uh so for those of you playing the home game, there's this thing called UPN, uh, Unique Principal Name, and it is actually what you were supposed to use to log in. But if your company had your UPN set to something like RB123 or ES123, you didn't know that. And so they spent a lot of time training you, use ES123 at foobar.com because that's the thing that it actually means. It doesn't actually mean your email address is what you just robbed up Bogue. Right. And and so they, quote unquote, fixed that. Hmm. And I can tell you from personal experience, it broke authentication for about nine months. Not consistently, not everybody, not all the time, just occasionally the system would get confused. Uh, you know, in my case, I have two email addresses. I've got Rob.bog and I've got Rbog and they pointed to the same place, but they're different. And one's got a personal account. And it's stuff like that where. It's not even a service outage. It's just you have customers, internal users, who are having weirdness on their devices around authentication. But where do you open that ticket? And how do you keep them from closing it? That's the yeah. other key. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, there's... 
So, so talking about logical fallacies, one of the, of course, biggest logical fallacies of the cloud is, is you can get rid of all your admins now that you're going to the cloud, right? Because Microsoft just handles everything. And, and the truth is, if you don't have Scooby-Doo and the gang running around trying to find all these little things that are going wrong, right? Then uh, you're going to be in a state where, you know, most of the time you're not working. Right. in some form or fashion, and you're very dissatisfied with the experience that you have because you don't have those people who can go, uh, who know where the, the dials get turned and the, and the knobs are and the switches and all that stuff. And a good example of that is is intermediate problems that have to do with security controls or things that have been enabled in the security center, and, right? And well, you know, uh, Susie can't access that. Well, let's open a ticket. Well, hang on. What? before we open a ticket, what is the actual cause of the problem? Could it be one of our policies that's causing this issue? Are we doing MDM and do, and uh, you know, all the stuff that goes along with device specific issues. Is she at home? Is she on the VPN? Where is she? Is she traveling? Is she in another country? Right. Do we have a geofence? Blah, 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 blah. And so you, without that, that, team of people chasing down those problems to figure out where they're at you're you're never going to get anywhere you're just going to be opening tickets all over the place uh they're never going to get resolved because you can't even describe the problem they can't replicate it right it's not actually um a service outage as you right. say it could be a feature that was updated or changed or modified or my favorite rolled out with a default setting right that nobody in their right mind would use right except yep. the small focus group that they built the feature for right? right um so you have to go okay well what have they recently changed what's modified what do i have to go where do i have to go look to see if this problem um is there or have they released a new feature that's totally confused my users and they don't know what to do Next. Well, or if they release something that doesn't make any sense. And so, you know, take, for instance, requiring MFA for external users, right? So conceptually, uh, so conceptually, claims-based authentication is the other association, the other organization says, this is Rob Bogue or this is Eric Shops, and I'm supposed to trust that. But now, and a lot of, I've seen a lot of my mid-sized customers uh, put a conditional access policy on that requires MFA. Totally appropriate. You really want to secure your system, totally great. What they don't realize is it also applies to external users. And their external users, even if MFA is not, whether MFA is required or not on the other end, now get prompted for multi-factor authentication. They, they get prompted to set up authenticator and, and, and. So what, what happens is you get these feature sets, they get turned on and enabled, by default, or somebody turns them on, but the impact scope is so much larger and it creates ripples. And so one of the ripples for this particular one is it breaks OneDrive synchronization. If you have an external user who has synchronized a library and MFA gets turned on to their external account, OneDrive just doesn't work. It won't mm -hmm. synchronize it. Now, here's the thing. I know this to be the case. I know this to be the case. I've replicated it in multiple environments. But how do you open a ticket for that? Right? How do you go external users only when using MFA through a policy, right? Like even internally, Microsoft has no idea how to solve that problem. There's too many teams involved. 
Well, and it has a knock-on effect, uh, especially in that scenario for things like external services. If you're using an external workflow engine, yep. right, and you turn on MFA, suddenly none of those uh, actions can authenticate any longer. Right. Right. And so it may be that your on-premise workflow stopped running because you were connecting up to the cloud. You enabled this policy thinking, well, that doesn't have any effect on on-premise, but ah, uh, yes, it does. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, other things that are plugging into that system right. that didn't anticipate that change. Migration tools, another great example. Yeah. You turn on MFA and you've got migration tools and, you know, suddenly you've dropped a hand grenade uh, into the whole process. Right. Right. Or they, we like to think that that before people make that change, they understand the ramifications. We know that's not really the case, but we've, you know, hopefully. But how could they? <laughs> well, yeah, they're not communicated well. That's part right. of the problem, right? What what are the knock-on effects? But but the worst is that they turn it on, right, as a default. Mm -hmm. Right. And then boom, now you've got to scramble and try and figure out and and where do you uh, where do you go to to solve that? problem. It's easy to say you call Microsoft, but that's not simple. And this is not a Microsoft only problem. Right. Uh, this when, this when, is every cloud provider. Right. Every cloud provider. When we were running our, our API gateway stack on IBM, I had the same problems. Like, where does this issue lie? Well, it's not with so-and-so. Okay. How am I supposed to know that? Right. Right. I don't know. Well, it's an it's an authentication issue, or it's our our actual workflow engine that does the pre-processing runs somewhere else, and that's having a problem. Ah. All I know is my my users' API keys don't work anymore. Right, right, and I have no visibility to do any troubleshooting uh, beyond that. So I'm, uh, I guess we used to spend our time actually troubleshooting the issue. Now we spend our time trying to communicate with you know, various support resources trying to get to what the actual issue is. Now, you know why I wanted the Ouija board out, the Ouija board <laughs> wave it, right? Because it takes like supernatural powers to figure this stuff out. Well, how do you, as a CTO or CIO, um, it, you've made this decision or the decision has been made for you that you're going to move the company entirely to the cloud. So you're divesting yourself of all this on-premises infrastructure and going to the cloud. How do you plan for this? How do you put processes in place to facilitate this never-ending troubleshooting communication loop? How do you how do you define internal SLAs when the external dependent SLA um, is so ephemeral? Right. Well, I think I, I think first of all, and this is the I think this is the part that's a little hard. Um, I think first you've got to have a resource that you trust who knows your environment, who can sort through it, right? And so we've got a couple of clients that we perform that function for, right? Like we don't we don't have a lot of work with them in a given year, but when they have a problem, we help them sort through, you know, is it A, B, C, or D, right? And we don't always get it right, but we get it more right than than anybody on their team can. Um, but that's not really a process, right? Like that's learning to engage with people who are uh, architects, right? And I know that large organization in particular think, oh yeah, well, we've got architects, we've got these kinds of architects and these kinds of architects and these kinds of architects and this, right? And I'll tell you, um, what I've learned is, no, there's an architect, the guy who can either personally 
or through relationships, get everybody in a room and figure out which thing is broken, right? Um, and, I, and I think every organization needs that. No matter how small you are, how, how large you are, you've got to be able to, to have that person who can help connect the dots. Um, but the second is you almost need a project manager. And I say almost, I probably should say you do, but it sort of depends on your scale. You almost need a project manager who is constantly on what are the cloud related issues and what are the tickets and right. And it's not your service desk manager, right? Like it's separate from, you know, break, fix, PC support and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. It's a person who their job is to bird dog these tickets um, because your technical team doesn't have time and, and they're not skilled correctly. Like if you've got a really good technical team, um, they're talking to users, they're getting they're they're getting to better details, they're understanding things, they're not necessarily the best ones to be bird dogging the, the tickets. Um, so I think if, from a systemic point of view, it's do you have a PM whose job is escalations and managing cloud services? And most people don't. What do you think? Well the there's another aspect to that that uh, sometimes the problems aren't the vendor it's the connectivity in between yeah right so you have to have a, a that pm whoever they are has to have some level of technical knowledge or access to technical resources that can actually troubleshoot the problems and say this is a cloud service provider problem or no this is a network access problem or it's an issue with our point-to-point -point vpn right or or you know our own internal dns has gone wonky or or whatever those issues are sometimes they're closer to home than they are right closer to right. the vendor and 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 totally and that's why i started with architect because you need that person who can do that work across boundaries um, you know, one of the things I know you and I can both, we can move all the way end to end software, AD, you know, if, if somebody needs to packet sniff, if we need to look at firewall rules, you know, what lever level it's stuck. I know you and I can do that, but 98% of the planet can't. And how do you find those people who can have the hard conversations? I can't. I cannot count the number of conversations I've had about, you know, cloud issues where I had to be able to communicate with the firewall guy at a level that he doesn't communicate with other humans at, right? Like, how are you protecting against sin flooding? And he's like, what? And I'm like, okay, go back to the 80s and 90s. And we had this thing called sin flooding. And how are you protecting against it? And what are the settings and right and 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 being able to talk about even how the channels are formed and all that stuff at the network level and then the very next moment jump up and be having a conversation about http transport and tls transportation uh, transport layover security https um like and be able to move through that conversation to go this is where it's broken um and that is a that is a skill and, and it's a skill that requires a lot of broad knowledge and it's unfortunately something that most organizations no longer have well i think that the 
nature of the way that we're treating cloud computing is um, pushing that sort of knowledge out of the central IT function in that we no longer incentivize people to learn the stack end to end. Mm -hmm. Like when you had to, to build a managed server farm, you had to know pretty much all that stuff. Right. right? Now, because it's somebody else's problem, right? Because it's on somebody else's computer, um, that there's no incentive for you to know things to that deep of a level. So you can't troubleshoot a problem, right? Right. Uh, and, and this isn't just internal IT, or this isn't just limited to collaborative applications in the cloud. I, we had a, a production impacting outage the other day that was custom code that we wrote and deployed that's been running happily for um, years and years and years that suddenly stopped working for no apparent reason and with no um, error message that told us anything of what was going on. And it turns out after much investigating that it's because the Azure Open ID Connect endpoints stopped accepting TLS 1.1 client requests. Mm. And yep. if you compile on .NET 4.5, it defaults to TLS 1.1. If you compile on .NET 4.6, it defaults to 1.2, right. okay? Um, but not there was not a single error message anywhere in the stack that indicated that this was a problem. Right. Only by having knowledge of the end-to-end -end stack and going, why is this happening at the authentication layer before it's even getting to our code, right? Yeah. Um, and understanding how that piece functions and works, right? And going, this is happening on the very first call that we're making without transmitting any code. But the point being that it required a level of stack knowledge, right? That yep. if I had opened a ticket to solve that problem, who would it have gone to first, right? right. The Azure app service team, right? The, I, I don't know, would eventually made it to the .NET core team. I, I have no idea, right. right? And I wouldn't even know where to begin in, right. in opening a ticket. So with with those things abstracted, I think it's actually making it harder for people to get targeted support because we've obscured so much of that. And the knowledge chain, because it's not considered necessary, it's no longer being taught. Right. Well, and I would argue that it's ever actually probably never been taught. Um, I, I would argue, so, so yes, but I don't think the things that you and I have experienced in our careers have ever been taught. Right. Like you and I learned um, TLS because we were building load balancing farms. Right. And we learned how it got put together and how it got torn down because we had to architect something that would scale before scaling was a thing. Um, but we don't teach. I mean, we we just don't teach it anymore if we ever did. Like for instance. If I, I just, I mentioned earlier the, the it's a Synac flood, right? I mentioned that none of the readers or none of our listeners are going to get that, right? Like, okay, two of you will, and you can send me an email because I want to know who you are, <laughs> right? Um, what's the difference between uh, a fin flag and a TCP and a RST reset fin flag, right? What is, what, what's the difference and what does it mean? And, and, you know, I can tell you if I get an, a reset, I know that a firewall blocked me somewhere, right? It's rapidly tearing down a session. And 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 I can look at a packet stream and see that. But but I didn't learn that. There's no, you know, computer science class where you learn about TCP 
packets. Um, well, I'm, I'm sure there is. I'm just not sure people are going to them anymore. Right. Yeah. And, and I'm sure there is a class that is an elective that nobody takes. Right. Like and, and, and similarly, you know, you and I have both had to work on high performance systems and we understand caching and what state do you preserve and what state do you let die and how do you run our synchronized cache across multiple servers and in and, and, and right like there's these are all these things that that we know how to do that we learned because we needed to but that most people aren't learning anymore because you're not building there aren't that many enterprises that are doing that work internally they're going well i'm going to do a platform as a service and i'm going to let autoscale do it and it's all magical and it is it's magical right up to the point where it doesn't work it stops working yeah no question about it i and and why does this matter are eric and rob just spinning off in some esoteric conversation again why does this matter well it matters because um for months you've been troubleshooting issues with the graph apis trying to get them to to do things they're supposed to do but don't do and if you didn't know and i'm paraphrasing because this is a very long complicated technical problem that you've been having but i should say i'm summarizing but if you didn't have the ability to tell those spo engineers right exactly where the problem was those tickets that you opened that never got resolved anyway but you would have made zero progress because they're coming back to you and saying oh no it's fine it's okay that's or or there's a problem but we don't know where it is right yeah i mean i think so so i think big picture to your point of why does this matter it matters because you still have to serve your internal customers it matters because you've got to find a strategy that allows you to maintain your cost control and and maintain a level of service to your internal users that's why it matters and and you're absolutely right there are people that we know that that you know I can reach out to and still not get the answers that I should get, but but we have a higher likelihood, right? Like the, the issues you're talking about may not have been resolved, but there's certainly a lot of others where they're like, oh yeah, you're right, it shouldn't do that, and and you know, and then you hear a clicking, try it again, and it does suddenly work the way that the documentation says it works, and you're like, what did you just change? I can't tell you that. Like, what do you mean you can't tell me? I can't tell you that. I can just tell you it's fixed and it's fixed for everybody or it will be in the next 10 minutes as it replicates to the system. I'm like, okay, thank you. Like, but um, if you didn't have the technical know-how to communicate that problem to them, it would have never gotten fixed. Right. Oh, no, it would have never, never, never got fixed. No. We, um, we had a search issue, SharePoint search issue, and it happened to be a platform change. Uh, it was a code change. Uh, they made a code change. It broke search, um, but it broke search only when there were more than 500 results returned. And most people don't see that because they go to the UX and they never like it just doesn't show. Mm -hmm. But for us, um, we do some initial uh, sanity checking when we hit an environment to make sure that everything's OK. And it broke. And we call them and they're like, no, 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 it works. And we're like, no, 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 it doesn't. Here's, you know. Like, I can show you here where it shows up and here where it doesn't. That's broken. Um, but it took knowing people, and it also took them knowing me and knowing, no, 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 we can't blow him off because he'll just keep trying. He'll keep coming back, right? Um, and it's issues like that that 
happen more often than we'd like. And the only way to fix them is to have somebody who knows enough about the system to be able to push the vendor, whether it's Microsoft or somebody else, to to go, this is the spot you need to go push on because this this spot right here isn't working. Or in my case, I built them a, a test harness, right? That it just did the thing that broke. And went here, you know, and they went, ooh, it does break. I did not use a Ouija board to figure out what problem I was going to have today. I, it really does break. Well, the the underlying sort of messaging here is that um, the cloud or this drive to the cloud, not the cloud itself, but this drive to the cloud, I think has uh, resulted in some fundamental issues inside the enterprise, one of which is underestimating the amount of resources that you're going to require, the amount and type and skill of the resources that are required to operate in a cloud environment. Okay, so let's just put it out there. You are not going to employ less people because you're in the cloud. Right. Okay? You're just not. Okay, I don't care what the marketing literature says. I don't care what you heard at that conference where they paid for your breakfast at the uh, 100 bucks ahead at the hotel, right? I don't care if they flew you off to some nice resort place to sell you like it's a, a timeshare. It's not or if they sent you to, to Redmond. <laughs> or what? Right. Or if they send you to the executive briefing center in Redmond. Yeah, right. it's not going to happen. And it's not going to happen because of things like this that you need technical know-how in your organization that can interface between what your users are experiencing, and what's actually happening, and can hold the vendor to account, right? Um, and can properly communicate how to get issues resolved. What you are going to do is shift those resources from hands-on applying patches to servers, right, and building virtual machines um, internally uh, to either doing those things in, you know, uh, PaaS or IaaS, uh, and and communicating uh, with the vendor, and or turning the dials and flipping the switches that are available to them in the scripts or or you know whatever interfaces are there. So those inter those people are not going to go away. Secondarily, you organizations are under training, which is of course always a problem across every area of the enterprise, but especially here they're under trained under training individuals because they bought into this fallacy that the, that'll just be handled up in the cloud and it's a vendor's problem. Neither of those things are true. The people aren't gonna go away, right? And you're not gonna spend less on, on education. In fact, you probably need to spend more because there's lots more stuff that they have to learn, right? Yep. And know how to deal with. So we'll do another uh, episode at one point about the, the major fallacy of the cloud is cheaper, right? Which, <laughs> which is total nonsense. Uh, but for, for purposes of this exercise, those two things, I think, are causing a lot of strife in organizations. And I certainly see it with my customers about, you know, what? well, we're angry with this cloud vendor because X, Y, Z. Okay, how many technical resources are tasked with running that service um, for you? Where are your people that do that? Well, we let them all go. Ta-da! Right, right. I think the other, you know, as you, as you talked about training, one of the things that struck me was we used to be able to train people up in very narrow silos. Like I'm a storage engineer and I know fiber channel, right? Except even on-prem, you didn't run fiber channel 
very often. Um, On-prem, you know, you're running uh, iSCSI over IP or whatever it is. Um, and you have to get that breadth in all of your people in ways that we've not had to do that in the past. Um, again, you and I, you and I are kind of like unicorns, right? Like, or iridescent flying whales. Um, we, we're just different because we've had to learn all these pieces, but most of the internal folks, you know, their storage engineer or their network guy or their security firewall or their, or their, or their. And, and I think the biggest thing for cloud is you have to be able to cross boundaries. You have to be able to cross all those. So, And we've talked a lot in sort of casual conversations about how we've noticed the, the technical community changing. It, there's lots of, not that Rob and I are special or unique, there's lots of the, you know, unicorns and yeah, yeah. flying whales around there. And we know a lot of those people, especially in this space. Uh, and you know, there are other platforms where the same thing happens. So there's lots of those folks. The problem is, is they're getting fewer and fewer and fewer right. because the technical communities are are moving up the stack, right? It's everyone's a layer seven specialist now, right? Nobody even knows what's under uh, right. those stacks. And if you don't get that reference, then that is the problem. Uh, and oh, it's I, by the way, look it up. <laughs> layer seven network model, seven layer network model. Yeah. So we've by simplifying by going to this vendor driven you know we'll deliver everything deliver everything out of the box all you need is an internet connection uh, i think we've done a disservice in many ways by not uh, the vendors not communicating with the customer what the actual requirements are i get that they just want to sell it and make it sound easy and simple and mm -hmm. we'll just take your money but the truth is we we're selling lots of software before when it took three years of certifications just to stand up a system right we right. were still selling a lot of software right right and people knew what the requirements were going in right, right. so i think Overall, we've done a poor job of setting proper expectations to say, this is what it requires to for care and feeding. But when you need support, this is what you're going to have to do right. uh, to get there. Right. I think the thing that I'm worried about the most, and I, and I use the word worried because I am, is in five years, how are people going to have received the experience that we need to do that support, to, to enable that support, right? We're not doing it directly. If they've never had the experience, the opportunity to learn these things, even if we remove the training aspect from it, and I do think that it's a big issue, we're not doing enough training, fine, whatever, but how are they gonna get the experience they need to be able to sort out these complex problems? Because they don't, they, there's no place to get that experience. Right. You know, you and I have both configured F5 big IP devices and not a lot of people have, um, you know, and, 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 you know, not talking baseball, the load balancers that are in use at many of the cloud data centers, you could probably figure out by reading the F5 annual report. Um, but people don't understand how they even function. And because of that, they can't go, you know, there's this weird tick box in this spot in the UX. that if you don't check it, it creates this kind of problem. Um, and, and I don't know how, you know, a 20 something coming out of college 
or coming directly out of high school is going to be able to solve these problems because they're not getting the experience they need to be able to do that. It's true. And I think part of it is that we're no longer treating these things as career paths. Right? Yeah. There's there's no such thing as an M365 administrator career. Mm. Right? There used to be a SharePoint admin career. Right? Yeah. There's not a Teams administrator career path. Right? right. There should be. There isn't. Right. Um, and that, I think, is problematic. Uh, yep. Just just like there's no, uh, where do you go if you want to be a Salesforce administrator as your career path, right? Is Are there resources? Are there trainings out there? Yeah, th- there are. But you can't go to school for that, right? right? And say, this is what I want to do. Um, or, or can you go and say, I want to get the fundamentals that I need? Um, to do that. Computer science uh, degrees, uh, uh, by and large, are stuck way in the past. Uh, so there's this disconnect between the requisite skill sets, how we treat it as a career, because people aren't investing in it as a career path, because, you know, it could just change or they'll switch to another, you know, vendor or what have you. And, and I don't think that's beneficial to the community. And we've seen it in our user groups, right? The user groups mm-hmm. have fallen off over the years because people just aren't treating this as an investment of their time. Right. Uh, that they need. And if they don't, they're not going to gain that experience and that knowledge to be truly effective um, in an organization. So let's let's OK, we've defined a lot of the problems. We talked a lot about um, uh, the issues. What are some of the things we can do? What are what are some paths forward? How can we help or how can the folks who are listening help uh, in their organization to address these known problems? Yeah, I mean, I think. As you said, you need generalists, you need to be cross-training people, you need probably a project manager who can manage those tickets, who can who can be focused on that. Um, because it really truly is a different skill set to bird dog something than it is to go problem solve. Like they're just, it's different brain, it's just different brain stuff. Um, and so I think those two are the two that I would have. Um, what do you have? What's on your list of things that you're like, yeah, we, we've got to help people do these things. I think a big part of it is communicating to management the need for, I almost want to say continuing education, but, but really it's for, it's a need for resources to be allocated, um, in immersive functions so that, uh, you're not just saying plucking Susie out of accounting and Joe out of legal and suddenly they become your N365 experts. No, right. that that it needs to be communicated that these are distinctive skill sets. They have distinct requirements, right? They require, uh, you know, a specific uh, backgrounds uh, and knowledge. And if you don't have the resources that have that, they need to be skilled up in that so they can do it effectively. Changing this, this mindset of the accidental administrator Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and focusing on uh, cloud administration as a functional skill set. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, in the org, communicating that to the powers that be showing them, demonstrating to them. Here's our ticket backlog. Here's what it takes to resolve these tickets. Here's the meantime to resolution, like communicating metrics, mm-hmm. because, of course, decisions at the sea level are all based on on PowerPoint decks. Right. And mm-hmm. KPIs. So communicating metrics to them that make sense. 
-hmm. about investing in these areas. We'll never win the fight of getting more training. How many years have we been in every aspect fighting that? It's never going to happen. But if they can at least focus on these as being distinct skill set areas, if we can start talking about them as a community, as career paths, I think it would do a lot towards changing that mindset um, in the C-suite of what should be invested in how and why. So I think I may have lost um, Rob on this particular part of the um, conversation. Uh, following on from that uh, thought until uh, Rob returns to us technically, um, it is other things that we can do as uh, you know, the individuals inside of an organization who are tasked with administering these systems is keep apply metrics to what you're doing. Uh, keep start keeping a log of activities, technical support activities, how much time is spent doing this, when problems come in, treat it like almost like a traditional help desk type of function. You know, how long does it take you to resolve an issue? Track all your issues, make sure that they're logged and, and that you can show graphics that are meaningful that say we spend 45% of our time troubleshooting uh, these issues and 37% of our time is in these types of addressing these types of metrics um, with users and make that presentable uh, to the organization so that you can win that argument. I was filling space, Rob, while you dropped it off. Thanks. I don't know where I went. <laughs> you disappeared into the ether. Poof. <laughs> but you're back. I am back. I'm here. So I was just talking about how, as technical people, we have to learn to talk corporate speak or at least C-level speak, and that's all done with metrics, right? So people yeah. in these positions have to start gathering metrics and presenting those metrics to management to show them that there is value in investing in technical skill sets um, right. here, and also to help them understand the scope of, of the problem. Yeah. No, absolutely. I, I think... You know, you you you've gone to that place of how do we make sure that we get the resources we need to be effective at the job we're being asked to do, and I think that's absolutely critical. Beyond that, um, is there a way to improve the support experience for the average end users? We've mostly been talking to and about IT pros, but what about the end user? How? in this cloud environment, do we make the process better for, you know, um, Johnny who's out on in the field and his stuff just doesn't work? Yeah, that's harder, right? Because the the way that the mechanisms all function, they funnel, they're designed at least in most of the cloud vendors cases to funnel through the IT department. So Johnny has a problem. He opens in a ticket with his internal folks. His internal folks look at the problem and go, yep, broken. And then they open a ticket and then they tie the two tickets together. And right, like it, it it's this kind of, uh, unfortunately, it's a lot of telephone game. Um, and so Johnny's got to get good at the relationships with his IT folks so that he can communicate in a way that when they relay that to the cloud vendor that it makes some sense. What about instances where IT is out of the loop? Uh, so many organizations now are shadow IT, right? Buying um, services. 
of going around the IT department, you know, long established as a department of no, uh, and going around them to directly to the vendors. Uh, how do they then deal with support issues with no intermediary in between? Um, good luck. Maybe a rabbit's foot, uh, magic eight ball. Like it really is difficult because they've got to learn language that the support folks are going to be using with them to be able to effectively communicate, right? Like if you land, uh, if you land in a new space where you don't know the language, that's, that's sort of what's going to happen. And, and you can say, well, that's the support person's job. And at some level, that's truth. The support team should learn your language, not the other way around, but it doesn't actually work that way. Mm -hmm. Right? Like you, you have to learn that level of, Knowledge. And I think all of us have probably got that family member who struggles to find the on off switch for their device. Um, I have a neighbor, I have a neighbor of mine, got a brand new flip phone and he couldn't figure out how to turn it off. And I'm not kidding. He came over, he's like, I don't know how to turn this off. And I'm like, <laughs> press and hold the end call button for five seconds because that's what it is. But he didn't understand that. Um, and folks are, if they're going to be direct to services, they're going to need to learn enough of the language and enough of what's going on to be conversant. And, and I feel for them, right? Like my French is 20 years old now and I'm not learning another language, I hope, um, you know, but, but it is like learning a completely different language. We've seen some success with departments who have the the capabilities to have sort of an internal champion, almost like an internal help desk, informal help desk for the department that can do some interfacing that has those skills that can help in those areas and you know, to determine. What, oh, oh, well, hello. Sam wanted to join. He, he doesn't know much about IT, but... But he's, he's representing our end user segment. <laughs> he's representing the end user segment. <laughs> Who doesn't know quite how to communicate to you what it is that he wants. Right. <laughs> no, to no, I actually completely got he wanted to come up and get pet. So I, I, I figured it out. <laughs> and here he is. Uh, but that that goes back to. I don't know that that's helping the problem. Not every organization has that person. They can't necessarily invest. If you're buying right. directly from a vendor, why would you even think about investing in that kind of skill set? It to a certain degree, the onus should be on the vendors to do a better job at putting a you know uh, a buffer there and communicating with customers how they an organization like Microsoft or IBM or Salesforce or AWS would do that. I don't know, uh, but something is missing. I yeah. think as we as we've made this transition and it's doesn't that gap doesn't seem to be getting addressed. Right. Um, at least not systematically. Right. Right. Uh, so, right. Well, uh, we've run out of time again, uh, as we always seem to do when yeah. we just get rolling uh, on a on the topic. Uh, we want to thank everybody, of course, for uh, joining us uh, this month for uh, this episode of the Winging It cast. I'm just, here we go, bringing the slides up so we can go to our final uh, sponsor bit um, here. Of course, I want to thank our sponsors, Aptogen, Thorpe Projects, uh, 
And uh, Rob, anything that you want to plug or promote? Uh, I want to go back to the Liberator that was on the title slide. Yeah. Because, <laughs> um, you know, it's all about aircraft around here. We're, you know, I, I think you should talk about the Liberator. <laughs> well, I, I could. This, so this is one of the first models that I actually built when I was a kid. Um, and just sort of randomly picking, you know, aircraft stuff, which is everyone has figured out now, sort of the theme uh, on this. Uh, but I remember building one of these uh, for one of my early, had to have been one of the very first models that I built. Uh, and then finally, when I was in my, gosh, I don't know, my 20s, I got to see one, right, up close, right, that had been rebuilt. Um, and obviously in a, in a museum. Uh, on the display. Uh, and the thing that struck me the most when I when I looked at it was those seats are really small. Yeah. <laughs> Who are the people that flew these things? Yeah. Well, and some of the seats you like fold up to like you, you know, you're like a Tyrannosaurus Rex. Like, yeah. Yeah. Being one of those gunners was uh, not a comfortable process. None of it was comfortable. Um but it, it, it's an example of, you know, some really clever engineering put together in a very short period of time, right? And how people, you know, teamwork just came together to make it happen under extenuating circumstances. Were they comfortable to fly? No. Did anyone like being in them? No. Um, you know, but they, they served a very effective um, purpose. They were, um, however, the, the very first first-person shooter of an aircraft. So, you know, it's... <laughs> well, yeah, I suppose that's true. <laughs> There might have been some precursors, but yeah, a couple uh, of precursors. That sometimes I just sometimes I just pick a cool image. Sometimes I think about it. the last one we did was SR seventy one. That's because Rob and I are both huge fans of the uh, of the Blackbird, but um, also military aircraft in in general. We I, I spend enough time on aircraft. I'd at least be aircraft appreciator. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but a seven three seven not all that interesting. No, well, no, is, no. Is American gotten rid of all the MD-80s out of their fleet? I don't remember. They're, they're working on it. I think oh, they're mostly already gone. Okay, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Replaced by 757s, but um, we will. I uh, will end on a on a funny note with something I posted to Facebook recently. Was there's a Swiss Air flight I took between um, uh, a couple of places recently and going to a uh, going to a conference in in Zurich. <laughs> I got on and then it went to row 17 and then it went from 25 to the end of the plane. And there were eight rows missing in the middle of the plane. I thought, okay, some, I'm not, there's a, somebody did this for a reason. I don't know what that reason is. I don't know why the numbering scheme changed. Okay. So I can help you. All right. You ready for this? Like okay. the aircraft ripped open in the middle and rather than doing it differently, they sliced it cleanly, <laughs> pushed it together and welded it. And they're like, ah, the good tape in the old days, bring it back together. It's, it's kind of the reverse of the stretch limo. But, but the best part was um, the human factor. It wasn't just noticing that the numbers were messed up. It was being early to board and sitting and watching everybody else notice the same thing, right? And figure right. out and look at their ticket and look around and look and go and wow. I'm in row 19. There is no 19. Yeah, there is. Sir, no. we forgot to tell you, you're sitting in the john. <laughs> so, right. With that, we will go ahead and conclude this episode. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, oh, by the way, be sure to uh, look for us on uh, Spotify, on the podcast. 
uh, Apple and Amazon, wherever you get your podcast from, because a, a podcast for all of our shows are available on the same day that the show airs. So if you prefer to consume uh, our wit, wisdom, and nonsense while you're on the go, you can do that on the platform of your choice. So thank you, everyone. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone.